everyone, and welcome to Discus, Discussions in Spinal Cord Injury Science. This podcast is brought to you by the Spinal Cord Injury Special Interest Group of the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy, which is a component of the American Physical Therapy Association. In this podcast, we bring you interviews with researchers and clinical leaders in spinal cord injury rehab. We are so thankful for you guys all to join us today. My name is Kristen Cizat. And I'm Uzair Hamad. And we are your hosts. Kristen and I have been looking forward to bringing you this episode for quite some time now, as today's guests have contributed some really important work toward spinal cord injury rehabilitation research. Today's guests are no other than Dr. Christina Dragonich and Dr. Kenneth Weber, and we'll be discussing their group's paper, which was recently released in the Journal of Neurologic Physical Therapy. The paper is titled, Predicting Outdoor Walking One Year After Spinal Cord Injury a retrospective multi-site external validation study. So Dr. Ken Weber is a senior research scientist in the Division of Pain Medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine. Ken is a clinician scientist with a clinical training in chiropractic and research training in neuroscience. His research seeks to develop better diagnostic and predictive tools for musculoskeletal and neurologic conditions, including pain, using clinical and imaging data. His research is funded by the National Institute of Neurologic Disorders and Stroke of the National Institutes of Health. Next, we have Christina Draganich. Recently, she completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at the University of Colorado and is currently a spinal cord injury fellow at Craig Hospital. Her journey to becoming a physician began when she worked as on the spinal cord and brain injury patients as a neuro rehabilitation technician at Craig Hospital and then went on to medical school at Rocky Vista University. Her current research focuses on perceived injustice after spinal cord injury, venous thromboembolisms after catastrophic injury, ambulatory prediction after spinal cord injury, and healthcare disparities in rehabilitation medicine. She serves as the president of the Colorado Rehabilitation Services Volunteer Partnership and is passionate about advocating for individuals with disabilities, as well as understanding and bridging disparities in rehabilitation care. We are so excited to have both of you, Dr. Dragonich and Dr. Weber. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kristen and Nuzera. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. All right, guys. So we're going to dig right into the study. So let's look a little bit at the objective of what your study was to validate the Canadian Outdoor Walking Clinical Prediction Rule. And I'd love to hear from you, Christina, a little bit of background on the clinical prediction rules for ambulation following spinal cord injury that are available and kind of how and why are they used in clinical practice? Yes, absolutely. So predicting future outdoor walking ability after spinal cord injury or SCI is important as this is often a top priority for individuals with spinal cord injury, and it's also associated with community engagement. So therefore, striving for accurate prediction of future walking ability you know, could also allow for individualized approaches to rehabilitation based on who would be more likely to respond to different um, rehabilitation programs. So for example, a patient with a favorable prognosis could be prioritized into a high-intensity locomotor training program without additional neuromodulation, whereas a plan of care for a patient with a less favorable walking prognosis may focus on compensatory strategies with an anticipated need for further neuromodulation to improve chances of walking. So to this end, clinical prediction rules or CPRs can guide rehabilitation teams in decision-making, especially in terms of prognosis and patient subgrouping. And in terms of what 
of CPR actually is, it's a mathematical tool that can be used to predict function. So essentially a statistical model that can be used to predict the presence or absence of a condition based on a limited number of clinical tests or predictive factors. So in this case, it's a model that uses clinical factors such as strength of various muscles, demographic information, et cetera, that would predict an individual's ability to ambulate after spinal cord injury. Yes, excellent. Um, I I know as a clinician in practice, we find the clinical prediction rules very helpful to helping us kind of decide our plan of care early on. So could you tell us a little bit more specifically about the Canadian outdoor walking clinical practice uh, rule that you guys were trying to validate? That was uh, that came out in what, 2021? Mm -hmm. Yep, in 2021. And yeah, in the past, CPRs that have been used have been a little bit less ideal in terms of walking outcome measures, such as looking at gait patterns that require high energy expenditure, and then also potentially focusing on ambulation indoors over level surfaces. So seeking to predict independent outdoor walking A Canadian CPR that was published in 2021 um, was formed that used the SKIM or spinal cord independence measure version three, item 14, which was outdoor mobility on more than 100 meters with the authors defining independent functional walking as a score of six or more. So walking with one cane, a leg orthosis only, or walking without an assistive device at one year after spinal cord injury. And so to that end, the thought was that it would look at more functional ambulation in the community. And the predictive variables for this outdoor walking CPR include two myotome scores, so L3 and L5 from the strongest limb, and then one light touch score, which was S1 from the more sensitive side from the International Standards for Neurologic Classification of Spinal Cord Injury or INSCI assessment. And ultimately, the authors reported that their CPR predicted walking ability at a level that was associated with increased community and social participation with good to excellent accuracy. And so as a result of this, this was the CPR that we were seeking to validate in our study. And we were particularly interested in this, again, because it was thought to be a CPR that was um, a little bit more related to that functional ambulation in the community. Awesome. Can you guys provide us a little bit more details on how exactly performing a validation study works? Like what specific methods your group used in in your study, in your validation study? So uh, thanks, Suzera. Our goal was to test the external validity or generalizability of the Canadian CPR in a larger, more heterogeneous population of people with spinal cord injury. As discussed, the Canadian uh, CPR was developed in a sample of 159 patients with spinal cord injury uh, from a single trauma site in Montreal. Um, there was always concerns regarding findings from a single study site. Um, you know, economic, ethnic, cultural, the healthcare system, and other factors make Montreal a really unique setting. And in research, there's always concerns whether the findings from a single site uh, will work across multiple sites where the patient population and healthcare system may be quite different. Not to dive too deep, um, but when you have a large number of variables and a small sample size, which is often the case, um, you can find patterns and data that can provide promising results in one sample, uh, but then won't work well in another sample. This is called Mm. overfitting, and it's a major issue and just one part of sort of the, the broader replication issue in science. So in this study, our primary goal was to assess whether the Canadian CPR findings can be replicated in another patient sample and see how well it works. Um, a big strength of this of, of the study is that we assess the Canadian CPR independently from the, the original research team. 
Um, so none of the Canadian CPR authors were part of the study. So it's really a truly uh, an external uh, validation of the Canadian CPR. And in order to do this, um, we use the uh, clinical data from the spinal cord injury model system from 12 centers in the United States. I'll let Christina provide more information about the spinal cord injury model system. Yeah, thanks, Ken. So the spinal cord injury model systems or SKIMS program began in 1970 with the goal to improve care and outcomes for individuals with spinal cord injury. There are currently 18 SKIM centers that are funded, and the SEI model system centers provide multidisciplinary system of rehabilitation care, ranging from emergency services through rehabilitation and then also reentry into full community life. Um, they also conduct research and provide education and disseminate, disseminate information with the goal of improving long-term functional, vocational, cognitive, and then also quality of life outcomes for individuals with spinal cord injury. And so, as Ken mentioned, our data was derived from this spinal cord injury systems uh, data. Yeah, and thank you, Christina. And so with these data, so we you know first applied our inclusion and exclusion criteria to the data set. Uh, for the inclusion criteria, participants needed a diagnosis of spinal cord injury due to trauma. The level of injury could be cervical, thoracic, or lumbar. Participants had to have the left and right L3 motor scores, so quadriceps, left and right L5 motor scores, so extensor halysis longus, and the right and left S1 light touch sensory scores um, at the lateral ankle at the time of admission. And the time of admission had to be within 31 days of the initial injury. Participants also needed the outdoor, outdoor outcome measures, um, which were based on self-reported ability to walk with or without a mobility aid uh, for one street block outside. Uh, we excluded a handful of participants that had a diagnosis of a motor complete spinal cord injury at one year post-injury, um, but yet also reported being able to walk outside. Um, in total, though, we had uh, 3,721 participants that met the inclusion-exclusion criteria. Uh, and were included in the study. Um, in total, this was um, data from 12 centers that spanned the United States. Um, so the size of the data set and the multi-site nature um, you know, are major strengths of the study. Um, in contrast, you know, the Canadian CPR was developed on a, a, a data set of about 150 participants, again, just from Montreal. And you know, so we're really uh, external and externally validating it on you know a much larger data set and a multi-site data set. Yeah, that's uh, a really impressive insight. That's an uh, SCI not always very easy to get. So <laughs> that definitely is a huge strength of your study. Thank you. So now that we have the data um, and we've identified these participants, our, our first step was to calculate the Canadian CPR score for each participant. Uh, to do this, you know, you first find the maximum value of the left or right L3 motor score, the maximum value for the left or right L5 motor score, and the maximum value of the left or right S1 sensory score. These scores are then entered into a formula which sort of cal calculates like a weighted sum of the scores in which the S1 score is weighted the most, followed by the L5 motor score and then the L3 motor score. And the CPR um, values can range from 2 to 120, uh, with higher scores indicating increasing likelihood of outdoor walking one year post spinal cord injury. Uh, one challenge with the Canadian CPR was that the study did not report the optimal cutoff score for predicting outdoor walkers versus non-walkers. Uh, so our first aim was to identify the best CPR score for predicting outdoor walking. Clinically, uh, we want you know, a specific cutoff or threshold because it just improves clinical translation. You know, it just makes the rule easier to apply, in my opinion. 
uh, you know, the clinic is challenging enough and we need, really need simple tools that we can easily apply. Um, so we wanted to identify a single threshold for predicting outcome, outdoor walking. Um, so to identify um, that, that threshold, uh, we first split the multi-site data set into training and testing data sets. Uh, we chose the local site, the Rocky Mountain Regional Spinal Injury System, as the holdout site for the testing data set. Uh, this was done to provide a, a final sort of unbiased assessment of the predictive performance of this threshold value. And by having a holdout testing site, um, we were able to assess the threshold's performance in 360, 376 people with spinal cord injury that were not used in determining this threshold. So reducing um, bias in the assessment of the final threshold. Um, so we used the, the training data set from the 11 sites, and we, we calculated this uh, UDON statistic using a leave one site out cross-validation. Uh, the UDON statistic sort of finds that uh, threshold or cutoff that maximizes uh, the combined sensitivity, sensitivity and specificity of the test. Um, after identifying this across the 11 uh, sites, and we then applied it uh, to the holdout testing site of 376 participants uh, to uh, do a final assessment of, of predicting outdoor walking um, in a really unbiased manner. Perfect. So let's get into the results and tell us a little bit about your findings and were they in line with what the original Canadian outdoor walking prediction saw? Yeah, so while the, the, the methods might be sound a little complicated, it's really nice that the, the results are very straightforward. <laughs> so. Using the training data set, we determined that a CPR score greater than or equal to 33 uh, provided the highest combined sensitivity and specificity. Uh, so this is what we used as a CPR threshold for predicting outdoor walking ability in this study. Uh, we then applied this threshold to the holdout site of 376 participants, um, and we were very pleased with the results. Uh, so the area under the curve was 0.943, where if it's one, it's perfect accuracy. Uh, the area under the curve is a bit hard to comprehend. So we also assess the performance using other measures. Uh, the CPR could predict outdoor walking with 88% accuracy, 89% sensitivity, and 89% specificity, which is quite impressive. Mm -hmm. um, we then summarized the test accuracy across all sites in our final figure in the paper and showed that the CPR, uh, that a CPR score greater than or equal to 33 could predict outdoor walking with 83% accuracy, 88% sensitivity, and 79% specificity across the 3,000 plus participants. Um, all in all, we you know, successfully validated uh, the Canadian CPR in a more heterogeneous sample of people with spinal cord injury from the United States. Um, um, so, you know, early sensory and motor measures within 31 days following an injury, um, you know, can be used to accurately predict walking uh, one year after spinal cord injury. Um, the rule obviously still needs further validation and even larger, more diverse, maybe global sample. Uh, but yes, the results are basically uh, in complete alignment with the original Canadian outdoor walking CPR. And really credit should be given to the authors of the Canadian CPR, uh, Dr. Stephanie Jean and colleagues. You know, they were really able to create a generalizable CPR for outdoor walking in a relatively size, small uh, sample size. And um, it's exciting and encouraging just to see that we could replicate the results um, mm -hmm. and yeah, really happy. And just given our findings, you know, I, I would expect to see greater incorporation of the Canadian CPR into clinical practice. Um, and yeah, excited, excited for it. Awesome. Um, 
So with that, all that being said, what impact do you, do you think or hope that this work will have on clinical practice for those treating clients with spinal cord injuries? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, as I mentioned earlier, clinical prediction roles or CPRs can guide rehabilitation teams and decision-making, especially in terms of prognosis and patient subgrouping. So when it comes to ambulation, finding more accurate clinical prediction models can aid with sort of directing rehabilitation goals. Although to be honest, at this point, as far as I'm aware, we haven't really made that leap yet of translating the research knowledge we have from clinical prediction rules into day-to-day practice. And I think as practitioners, we have a certain gestalt based on an individual's completeness or incompleteness of injury, their level of injury that informs our clinical decision-making. But to date, I'm not aware of many tools that have been created to translate the clinical prediction rules into, say, an application that could be easily used you know, in day-to-day practice. And that's an area that I'm I think, you know, our team is particularly interested in moving forward, you know, how can we actually translate this um, for everyday use? But I think to that end, it's really important to have a relatively simple model. And that's one of the benefits of this clinical prediction rule that we were able to validate um, is that there are fewer input variables, making this an easier model to use. And I think potentially one that could be more easily translated into everyday use. Yes, absolutely. Well, we're really excited to hear about the findings of this in such a large study because, again, I mean, in in clinical practice, it's so helpful to be able to use the evidence to have educated conversations with the patients and their families um, to really be able to steer your plan of care with confidence in, in the decisions that you're making as a team. So we really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Well, thank you. We really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to talk about this work um, because we're really excited about it. Yeah, thank you so much. That was an awesome discussion, guys. Um, You know, your work really puts the evidence behind practice. And we sincerely appreciate you guys taking the time to discuss your work with us and for your contributions to spinal cord injury rehab. Is there anything that you would like to leave with our listeners today? I think the only other thing that I would say or add is that, you know, I think CPRs and clinical prediction is a growing field with a lot of clinical promise. And I think this type of work could also be applied to a lot of other areas within spinal cord injury, such as bowel or bladder function. You know, I think similar to ambulation, the return of bowel or bladder function is a little less predictable in sort of, you know, like the incomplete injuries. And so I think being able to have CPRs in the future to guide us would be really exciting. And there's some work already looking at that. So I'm excited to see more to come in the future. Yeah, and I kind of I second what Christina says, and also just, um, you know, developing CPRs um, that help sort of understand how specific treatments are working and what aspect of the rehabilitation tr- uh, treatment strategy is providing specific results. And uh, it's really exciting. And um, it'll be, uh, you know, exciting future ahead, I think, for this work and patients. Awesome. Well, that's the end for our chat today. We really appreciate you guys being here with us. Um, We do want to say on behalf of the AMPT that the views and opinions expressed here today are that of the individual creators and do not necessarily represent the position of the AMPT. But we want to thank all of our listeners today for listening to this interview brought to you by the SCI Special Interest Group. And for more information or ways to get involved with the Spinal Cord Injury SIG and AMPT, please visit www.neuropt.org. And if you guys have any questions or contact information that maybe you'd like specifically to 
uh, send to our interviewers today. We will include their uh, email and social media handles in the uh, show notes. So thanks again, guys.